last week, we um, got Paul into Athens. Today, we're going to listen to Paul preach uh, in Athens. Uh, you'll notice in this sermon, we talked about Athens last week, center of the intellectual world in Paul's day. Uh, it, it was past its glory days. Even by the time Paul went to Athens, the Parthenon was 400 years old by the time Paul went to Athens. So uh, under the Roman Empire, Athens was not what it was uh, in, in, in the uh, fourth century under people like Pericles when Plato and Socrates and Aristotle were running around. So it had lost some of its previous glory, but it still was um, uh, not the commercial center of that area. Corinth, which we go to next week, was the commercial center of that area, but it was the intellectual, philosophical um, center of that area. The other thing that you need to remember, in case you weren't here, is Athens was uh, being part of that intellectual center of Greece, it was, that meant it was part of the religious world of Greece. Um, maybe 10,000, some historians tell us this, 10,000 people living in Athens that day, 30,000 pagan statues around the city. Um, that's why you saw last week when Paul showed up, he, his spirit was greatly grieved. Uh, you're going to re- revisit that in what he says today. So it's a very, very unique episode from the life of Paul, but um, you will see some of Paul's mastery as a communicator. What he says in Athens is unlike anything he says anywhere else in any of his sermons uh, that are recorded by Luke in Acts or that you can read out of Paul's own literature. Uh, what, he, what he preaches, and you'll see it in a moment, is very, very different when he's in Athens. Again, he's in the middle of intellectual elite. He's in the middle of philosophers. Uh, he's, he's speaking before the city council. So these are the leaders of the intellectual elite there. All of that allows, um, all of that allows uh, or encourages Paul to do it differently there. Like, for instance, in this sermon, he never quotes Hebrew Scripture. That's so unlike Paul. But those folks in Greek wouldn't have known what he was talking about. Um, It's kind of like when I try to have conversations with somebody who don't hold to the authority of Scripture. It's almost a useless conversation for me. We have different authorities. Uh, Well, Paul, Paul could talk otherwise, not using Hebrew Scripture, when he's in a place like Athens, and he's speaking to pure pagans is what he's speaking to there in Athens. So you see him give a very different sermon. Um, The results are different there than in Thessalonica or Philippi or Berea or Corinth. The results are different. They look to be meager results. But again, it's kind of a matter of perspective. They may be great results for a place like, like Athens. Uh, some of you may know, or some of you may not know, our, our, our intern, pastoral intern, who is absolutely amazing, Eli Yu, uh, he's, he's a Chapel Hill student. One of the things he does on a regular basis, and those of you who know Chapel Hill know what the pit is in Chapel Hill. It's a place where there's outside preaching, teaching, politicking. Anyway, he preaches on a regular basis in the pit to the, to the people there at Chapel Hill. 
Um, so, yeah, what, what he would consider fruitful for Chapel Hill and what I consider fruitful for High Point are two different things. That's the way Paul was in Athens. You can look at the results, which you'll see in a moment. You can look at the results of Paul's missionary journey to Athens and think he really flubbed it up and failed and didn't produce much. But again, he's in Athens. Now, there, there, are, there are some significant things going on here. He never goes back. That probably tells us something. You'll notice in your New Testament, there is not Paul's first letter to the Athenians. Athenians. He never wrote them again. He probably was happy to get out of that city. Um, I'm not going to make any analogies to any cities in North Carolina, but he was probably happy to get out of that city. When he left, he never went back, never wrote a letter. Looks like he had meager results. But do keep in mind, uh, out of Athens, not so much Athens, but out of Greece comes one of the earliest, strongest branches of Christianity, the Greek Orthodox Church, which, by the way, was never based in Athens. It was based in um, Constantinople, Istanbul, that's, that's where uh, the, the Greek Orthodox Church tended to be based. But uh, the Greek Orthodox world does grow out of uh, the early Christian missionary work in Athens. Uh, they will tell you in, in Greek today that 97% of the people are, are, well, they'll tell you that 97% of the people are Christian because 97% of the people are Greek Orthodox. I'm not sure those are the same thing. Um, I'm not sure everybody that says they're Methodist or Christian, by the way. But, um, yeah, there's some good stuff happened in Greece. Some good stuff happened in Greece. So Paul's in a very unique place in Greece. So we look at this unique sermon that he preaches. It starts in verse 22, uh, the sermon. Uh, we've already set the stage. You started in verse 16 last week of him entering uh Athens, you see how it's going in Athens. Well, he, he goes before the Areopagus. The Areopagus, that's Greek for hills, hill of Ares. Uh, if, you, if you do Latin, the god of war for the Latins is not Ares, but it's Mars. So the hill of Ares becomes Mars Hill uh, in the Latin language. That's why you have a Mars Hill College, which is a Baptist college here in the state of North Carolina. But I'm sure you knew that. Um, you Hopefully you didn't go north of Asheville and look for a hill called Mars Hill, north of Asheville. But that's where, the, that, that's where that college is named from. Anyway, so he's, he, he, the Areopagus originally was that little hill beside the Parthenon Hill where the city council met, probably by Paul's time. Uh, they were not meeting on that hill anymore, but that city council was still being called the Areopagus. That's why one of the people that's going to be converted is an Areopagite, which means he was just a member of the city council. So he's, he's, he's preaching to the city council there in Athens. Look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, city council, said, and here comes his sermon. Should be in quotation marks for quite a ways. Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, that could be positive or negative. Um, King James obviously takes it negative. 
King James translates that. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very superstitious. And for some people, religion and superstition are really close. So Paul, Paul is, he may be nuancing his words here. He's probably trying to start off with a positive sentence that may not be as positive as the crowd thought it was. When Paul said, I see that you're very religious. Because the city's full of gods, full of statues. But he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. But please take note. He has enough sense to start off positively before he gets to... He's going to call them to judgment by the time he finishes. But he starts off positively. You know, the Bible can even teach you to be more tactful than you probably are. Some people need that. Some people need to learn how to be more gentle than they are. Some people saying everything, some people who think, some people think that saying everything they think is a virtue. It's not. Um, Self control is a virtue. Self control is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Always speaking your mind is, Paul frequently says, stop it. You know, that's not a virtue. But anyway, here's Paul. He's choosing his words wisely. Which again, some of us need to learn that. He's choosing his words wisely. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way. You are very religious. They probably took that as a compliment again. I'm not sure Paul actually meant it as much of a compliment as they took it to be. Verse 23. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So he starts off complimenting them somewhat. He starts off talking to them where they are at. He's, he's, he's saying, I've I'm, I'm been traveling through your city and I'm seeing all these altars, all these altars to your gods. And I've even saw one that was an altar to, to the unknown God. What the Athenians were doing there was hedging their bets. If they had missed a god somewhere, they just put this up. You know, uh, uh, an altar to the unknown God because they, they want to be protected and they want to be blessed by all the gods that are out there. And they, they, they may be 30,000 statues to gods here in Athens. So just to hedge their bets, make sure they don't offend some god that they might have overlooked, they just put up a statue uh, or an altar or a shrine to the unknown god. So Paul is going to, going to play off that. Now again, this is not Paul's typical way of preaching. Um, this is not Paul's typical way of preaching. Uh, he starts with Scripture and he exposits Scripture and he explains Scripture. and um, this, He's going to finally mention Jesus by not even mentioning Jesus to these Athenians. Um, you have to kind of know your audience. Uh, I had a great, great time yesterday speaking about... Um, Israel and the Hamas war out at River Landing. I took 30 handouts, and the room had 100 people plus when I showed up. And I realized, yeah, this is a hot topic. Um, you know, I, what I did at River Landing, just rambling with them, you heard me ramble in here. What I did with them was different from what I did in here. Because um, I walked in the room, and one of the staff members said, don't be political. I want to say, define that to me. And then, um, yeah, there was, um, you know, I had a really, and I knew the guy. I had a good Arab friend sitting on the front seat. 
So yeah, what I did yesterday, I was, I was a historian and I was, I was trying to talk to my group that I walked into a river. That's different from here. Yeah, you put me in what I consider my pulpit. This is my space. So if you don't like what I say, but yeah, you invite me. I mean, one of my degrees in, in religious studies is from UNC Charlotte. You know, pagan territory. Uh, yeah, go study religious studies in a secular state university. That's interesting. You know, me and one other part person in that department were the only two specimens of Christian people. The rest of them are there for history and language and archaeology. And yeah, but we kind of believe this stuff. But yeah, you, you talk to your audiences differently. So, you know, one of the, when, I, when I was this superintendent, one of the well, I learned a lot when I was this superintendent, but uh, working with my 181 clergy, I learned that some clergy are their own worst enemies. And one of the reasons some clergy are their own, own worst enemies, they can't read the room. Their room may be in a completely, totally different place from where they are, and they don't know it. And, you know, usually when DS calls them to his office, they realize they were not where their audience was that night. So here's Paul. Again, you're watching Paul do something differently. Um, I mean, normally, if these had been Jewish people, he'd say, get rid of your statues to all your gods, even the one to the unknown God. Get rid of all your statues. But you have to, you have to know your audience. And, 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 and if you want to be, because what you want to be is, at the end of the day, more than just being confrontational, you want to be fruitful. You want to bear fruit for Jesus Christ. There's a place for confrontation, but still at the end of the day, you want to be fruitful. So he's trying to be fruitful. And he does leave some Christians behind. Anyway, so he says, here's your altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. Where, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Stoics and the, and the Epicureans would agree with that. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand. He's looking at the Parthenon and all these other temple, smaller temples uh, around, around Athens. And by the way, what I also want you to notice, Luke has, this is almost exactly what Stephen preached about the temple in Jerusalem at the beginning of Acts that led to the, the killing of Stephen for attacking the temple in Jerusalem, I, I think Paul listened to, to, to Stephen that day. He, he attacked Stephen. He participated in the killing of Stephen. But one of the things Stephen said was, if you go back and read that earlier section of Acts, is God does not live in temples made by hand or made by man. Well, by this point in Paul's life, he knows that. He doesn't reside in Jerusalem temple. He doesn't reside up there with Athena in the Parthenon. So um, that, that says a lot about Paul. He, he, he received more from the sermon of Stephen, and the sermon of Stephen impacted Paul probably more than we realize. Anyway, he says, yeah, this God who made everything does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind, life and breath and everything. This is remarkable in the Greek world. 
the whole Greek religious system. And again, you've seen the cheesy movies. You've seen Jason and the Argonauts. You've seen the Odyssey uh, of Ulysses. The whole Greek, the whole pagan system is based on you got to appease the gods. You got to please the gods. You got to sacrifice to the gods. You got to give to the gods. You got to keep the gods happy so that they'll bless your political entity, so that they will cause your crops to, to flourish. So the whole pagan world was based on you taking care of the gods, um, you know, giving them offerings, keeping them happy, giving them what they want so they don't toy with your lives like they did with Jason and the Argonauts or, or, or Ulysses. Here Paul says our God is different. Our God is not a God that you need to serve or take care of. Our God is a God that serves you. Our God is a God that takes care of you. It's not about you, you just uh, giving God everything God wants so He'll be good to you. God has already made His mind up. He's, he's good to you, period. There's nothing you can do to ever make God love you more. There's nothing you can ever do to make God love you less than God loves you right now. Again, that's the glory of the gospel. You don't have to take burnt offerings. You don't have to put up a statue and reverence the statue. So in, in one fell swoop, I don't know if the, the, the city council understood what he was doing, but in one fell swoop, um, he has just torpedoed the pagan religious world. This God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and grace. The, the, the one thing that's most unique about Christianity compared to every world religion that has ever existed is the concept of grace. We don't strive to reach God. God strove to reach us. So yeah, this is a God who gives, not a God that needs to receive, but a God who gives. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live, in, to live on all the face of the earth. He's going back to creation now. He made, from, he, he, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. Now, if he'd been talking to a Jewish community, he would have quoted Genesis 10 at this point. When God, you know, created the languages and uh, gave people different geographical places to live, He's not going to say Allah, Allah Genesis ten because these Greeks don't know what that is. But that's what that's that's the theology He's referencing here by going back to creation. How after creation, uh, God kind of allotted people to different places. Verse twenty-seven. Here's what God wants out of people that they should seek God and perhaps feel, a better word there would be grope, that they should seek God and perhaps grope their way toward Him and find Him. So God is all around us. God loves us. God desires us. God's trying to bless us. God wants to be part of our life. But we can ignore that. Uh, the human heart, again, if Paul, and he does this all over the place, if he, like in the beginning of Romans, he quotes all of these verses 
from the Hebrew Bible Old Testament that says our hearts are wicked, our hearts are evil, we can't even seek God, we don't want to seek God, we are rebels and we enjoy it. He doesn't quote that stuff here. But he says, you know, people are looking, and they don't know exactly what they're looking for. They're not looking for Athena. They're not looking for Zeus or Jupiter. Um, they're looking for God. They're groping. He's going to start talking about their blindness and their ignorance in a minute. They're, they're groping toward God, and they don't even know that's what they're looking for. Some people's addictions in this culture are there because they're groping for God, and they're trying to fill that emptiness with something else. And that's where pagan religion comes from. That's where a lot of addiction comes from. So he's, he's, he's trying to... Notice how he's introducing them. He hasn't once said the God of Abraham, Jake, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, he's not once said that. But that's what he's doing. He's introducing them to the God of Israel. Uh, I, I, when I think about this image of humans by nature are in darkness, the best we can do is kind of grope our way feel our way, uh, feel our way like along the walls, trying to find what it is we think. We know that there's something missing. There's something askew in the human heart. There's got to be something more. This has to be something more. Um, when I read this text, I'll tell you a story I think about. Um, my first time I ever went to Rome, this was years ago, and I pray this cannot happen now. I uh, went to Rome. And um, ended up sick. So after dinner that night, um, I told Tammy and the group, I said, y'all go out, have fun, see the Colosseum, you know, lit up at night. I, I was actually running a fever. I said, I'm going to go back to my room and go to bed. Well, Tammy took me back to my room, and this was a great location. In a place like Rome, when you want a hotel, you get one of two choices, great location or a good hotel. Can't get both. Sometimes I prefer a great location. This was a great location. You could, anyway. So she took me back to my hotel room, uh, put me to sleep, and I said, y'all go have fun. And I just said, um, you know, um, turn the lights off and lock the door on your way out. Well, my fever broke. When my fever broke, I, I woke up. You know, you kind of sweat. I woke up, decided to go to the bathroom. This was such an old hotel you know how now in, mo in the modern world you have your little hotel card and you put it in a, a thing in the room and you get power or not power by whether or not you got your hotel card? In this room, when Tammy turned, we had like a, a key, a physical key. When she turned the lock to lock me in, that turned all the power off. Locked me in a dark room, basically, which I hope is illegal now. But I'm locked in a dark room. I still remember, third floor. I guess I could have jumped if I had to. Um, I'm locked in a dark room, and I'd already had to call the desk once to tell them to come up and explain how to use their Roman television. So my pride refused to call them again to say, I'm in a dark room, and I just want to go to the bathroom. I didn't know that her turning the key would turn all the lights off, power off my room. So I just got up. It was night. My room was dark. I groped my way, felt my way along the wall to the bathroom, then groped my way back, because I'm in a strange room, groped my way back to my bedroom and thinking Asha would have a fit about this. Um, all the rules in America would not, I hope it 
would not happen now. It's been over 20-some years. But this, that's the image I get here. That, that's, that's human condition. That's human nature. Uh, humans are in darkness. Humans are in ignorance. The best we can do, we're kind of groping our way to something. We know there's got to be more. And that's what Paul's saying to these people. That's why they got their 30,000 statues up there. Um, he says, they, they, so people, you know, he, God has done what God has done so that they should seek God, perhaps feel their way, grope their way toward Him and find Him. Yet, now again, he's not quoting Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, but he's, he's going to give them some quotations because Paul is a very intelligent person. He's a very intelligent person. He has read their stuff. You know, some parts of the Christian community think that ignorance is spiritual. It's not. Uh, something else I learned when I was this superintendent, I'd run across some of these people, some of these preachers, who just wanted to get up on Sunday morning and let it go. Preach from the heart. Trust the Holy Spirit. And I believe in all that. But I tell these preachers, particularly after I went and heard them preach, give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Um, yeah, ignorance is not spiritual. So Paul knows their stuff. He knows about the Stoics. He knows about the Epicureans. He knows about the Cynics. So he starts quoting pagan poets to them. When he says, yet he is actually not far from each one of you, for in him we live and move and have our being. Well, you say that's a quotation, or in some translations it's a quotation. It should be a quotation. In him we live and move and have our being. Um, he's not quoting Bible. He's quote, quoting Epimenides at that point. And then he goes on, as even at this point he says, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Uh, he's probably quoting Aratus at that point, uh, who came from the same region that Paul came from, Cilicia. So Paul certainly would have known the writings of Eretus. So here he's quoting two poets of the pagans. You know, I hope you know the Bible, but I hope you know George Orwell too, by the way. I hope you know Shakespeare. I hope you know, uh, it's hard to even quote people that I respect that weren't Christian. I'm trying to think of a pagan artist out there, but I hope you... You know, I, I, you know I, I have concerns about the American educational system, particularly when, you know, I start talking about geography. And, yeah, I have some concerns about the American educational system. But being intelligent and educated uh, and, and thinking, you know, no stuff outside your little ghetto is, is important. Paul knew these pagan poets, and that's what he's quoting here. And actually in verse 29, for, uh, verse 29 being then God's offspring... He's actually probably quoting another pagan poet there, Cleanthes. That 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 phrase, God's offspring, came from a poem that Cleanthes wrote in praise of Zeus. Paul knows this stuff. So again, ignorance is not spiritual. Uh, so he's saying this stuff. In him we live and we live and move and have our being, for we indeed are his offspring, being God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Now you hear, it, I'm sure the crowds they're feeling like he's attacking us. You know, God doesn't live in buildings made by hand. God doesn't need your gifts. 
God serves you. They're probably picking up slowly that 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 he's Paul's attacking them, but he's doing it in a tactful way. And that's why you're gonna see in a moment that he has a mixed reaction from the people. Um yeah, God, these gods, you know, they're, they're, the divine beings, they're not like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. Verse 30, the times of ignorance. I'm sure it got quieter in the room at that point when he said that. The times of ignorance God overlooked. You know, the times of ignorance when you didn't know the true God. When you were wandering around thinking Zeus was the head of your, your, your pantheon. When you were walking around thinking that, that God somehow live up on Mount Olympus. When you were walking around thinking that you have your truth, I have my truth, and we all get to choose our own truth. When you were walking around thinking, well, you can ignore the Bible because we all have our own interpretations. The list goes on. God will let you enjoy your ignorance for as long as you want to enjoy your ignorance. He really will. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Now here comes the... He's getting to the judgment piece. Yeah, God's overlooked some of your ignorance. And for some of us, He continues to overlook some of our ignorance. But that's not going to be eternal. God's not always going to give us a get-out-of-jail-free card. God's not always going to give us a pass on our ignorance. Um, So the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. These Greeks didn't have a clue what that was. That is a Jewish concept. Repentance, metanoia, means a changing of the mind, a going in a different direction. They knew the Greek word. Um, is saying, you know, hopefully your season of ignorance is over. Now it's time to repent. Verse 31, here's where he gets to Jesus. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. I'm sure Paul hoped that after his sermon, someone would say, who is the man that God appointed? And Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. His name is Jesus. So here's the, this is the closest he gets in this sermon to, to mentioning Jesus. He says there's coming a judgment when the world will be judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. None of the Jews, none of the, I mean Jews, none of the Greeks, sorry, none of the Greeks, I don't care if you're Epicurean or Stoic or um, uh, Cynic, none of the Greeks had a concept of a final judgment day. That's, Jew, that's Judaism and Christianity. That's Judaism and Christianity. By the way, I don't think most of the people you'll encounter on the street today have a concept of a final judgment day. Judaism and Christianity certainly do. But it's such an, it offends human beings. So if we either reject it or ignore it, one or the other, it offends us. You know, we don't like anybody telling us we're wrong, ever. So the whole concept of Jewish day didn't have a judgment day, did not fit the intellectual climate of ancient Greece. But Paul has to tell them this much. God's, God's going to always overlook your ignorance. There's going to come a time of judgment. And there's, going, there's a person that's been appointed to be the judge on that day. Well, at that point, he's lost a whole bunch of, the, of these Athenian intellectual city council members. And he's going to lose a bunch more with his next phrase. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
when he starts talking about resurrection, all of these Greeks just, just zone out. They check out at this point. Look at verse 32. The sermon's over now. Look at verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. The whole Greek world believed in the immortality of the Spirit. They almost all did, most of them. Not so much the Epicureans, but particularly the Stoics. Other, they believed in the immortality of the Spirit. They, they believed they were super spiritual. Again, I perceive that you're very religious, Paul said, or superstitious. They were super spiritual. Super spiritual. To the point that the body was a prison. To the point that the world one day would just be done away with in fire. That's Stoicism. They were super spiritual. Anything about matter, physicality, creation, body, flesh. The body was just a prison to be freed from. So the whole concept, they believed in the immortality of the Spirit. Now they had different views as what your spirit would do and where you would be and what that world would look like, but they, they believed in ongoing spiritual reality for human beings, all human beings. The Greeks called the, the, um, um, the, well, the Greeks called it Hades. The Romans called it the Elysian Fields. They believed that your spirit went somewhere. What they could not accept was that Jewish and therefore Christian concept. We believe in the resurrection of the body. It started with Jesus. We will participate one day. Our flesh will be raised. And even this creation around us, beyond our bodies, this creation around us will be, will be redeemed. It will be recreated. So we Christians and, and Jews, we believe in immortality of the soul and resurrection of the body. We believe that spirit and matter both are significant. Matter matters is our cliche. Other world religion, I mean, if you're just into Zen Buddhism and transcendental meditation, there's nothing physical about that. It's all about transcending the physical world. We believe in the mortality of the soul, but we believe that when the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is finished, it's not going to just be a spiritual redemption. You know, all of creation will be redeemed. World without end. Amen. Amen. We, that's core Jewish and Christian conviction. You know, if you start, if, if Paul had cut loose at this point singing um, uh, Dim Bones, Dim Bones, uh, they would have really thought he was vulgar. You know, resurrection, they, would, they see zombies probably when, they, when you start talking resurrection of the body, and I'm not sure some of our culture does it. They, they thought that concept was a remarkably vulgar, Jewish, backward, overfleshly concept. So he's told them about judgment, which they don't like. Now he's thrown out their resurrection of the body. Started with Jesus, the one who's going to get to judge you. Uh, and it does even here, he doesn't mention Jesus, but uh, raising him from the dead. Again, he's, he's trying to say as much to them as he can before they refuse to listen anymore. Again, some of us need to learn that, that, that tactfulness. Because again, we're after fruitfulness, not just confrontation. So that's why when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. It's a mixed reaction. But others said... We will hear you again about this. So he's either getting mocking or curiosity. Because they probably thought, you know, he sounds like an intelligent man. He's quoting our poets to us. 
But he believes in the resurrection of the body. And that there'll be a day at the end of history where all people will be judged. So he's confused them now. Part of my mission in life has been to confuse people. I've got people who have told me that I'm too intelligent to be Christian. And I say, give me a few hours. Let's discuss this. You know, I mean, think of the, all the greatest minds in history in the West have been Christian. Um, yeah, he's confused them now. They thought he was intelligent. He was quoting their poets. He was sounding philosophical. But now he's talked about judgment day and resurrection of the body. So he has a mixed reaction. And the best he got is, and, and I think this is patronizing, as they're walking out the door, they say, yeah, we'd like to hear more from you sometime. And they walk out the door. That's kind of like, preacher, good sermon, and I never see him again. Um, so that's a little patronizing, I think, to Paul. No, no, nobody's agreeing with him. They're either mocking what he said, or they say, yeah, well, well, let's get together again sometime. And, uh, and I'm sure he never heard, well, he leaves. Before long, he leaves Athens never to return. So here's the fruitfulness. Here, here, and Paul, Luke always tells you this about Paul's preaching. Here's the results, verse 34. But some men joined him. Remarkably enough, some men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite. He names one member of the council who believes him, my guess is that's the only one member of the council that believed him, Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Um, we assume it's not a large number. You know, um, Paul's not given the big numbers that he loves to give in the book of Acts. You know, 3,000 came to faith, you know, on, uh, on certain days. He's, just, he's giving you a couple. Now, he names two people. He tells you about Dionysius, the Areopagite, who church tradition makes like the first bishop of Athens. Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris. Paul, uh, Luke always loves to show you the women's role. We've talked about that. Luke loves to show you the women's role in the early Christian community. He does that in the Gospel of Luke. He does that in the book of Acts. So um, that's why he's, he, he's probably struggling to remember some names of some people that actually bought Paul's message. But he, he makes sure he remembers one of the women, Damaris, um, a woman named Damaris, and some others. So it was mixed results. So was Paul successful or not? You can read the commentary. Some will say he repents of not preaching the Bible. Because you see when he goes to Corinth, but he's among Jews there to start with. I, I, I think he was probably remarkably successful for the city of Athens. I mean, again, it's like where Harvard is. I won't pick on anybody in the state. It's like going to, isn't that Cambridge? Go to a pure academic, highbrow, intellectual environment. Yeah, if you can get a few converts, you have worked wonders. Um, so I think he was probably remarkably fruitful for Athens. Uh, but we also know why he doesn't go back. We, die, we know why he never writes a letter to the church in Athens. Um, and probably this is not Paul's preferred way, preferred way of preaching. But Paul knew his audience. He wanted to make as much fruit as he could. He could have said something in the first sentence that would have made all of them walk away. But he kind of slipped Jesus in on them. 
Uh, by the way, C.S. Lewis can help you do that. He sort of slipped Jesus in on them. So I, I, I think Paul did a good job here. It's strange, it's unique, but I think it shows his, his mastery as a communicator. Again, he was trained in the Greek world in Tarsus, trained in the Jewish world in, um, in Jerusalem, but he could give those people in Athens a run for their money. And we need more Christians that can do that. You know, every now and again, I see somebody that's on my team. They're Christian. They're supporting the Christian faith. And I want to go up to them and say, you're not, you're not helping us. You're really not. Um, you know, we, 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 we have to be confrontational at times, but what we're after is fruitfulness. You know, you know I'm, sure, I'm sure Dionysius and Damaris are very happy to this day that they heard Paul and they listened to Paul long enough to hear what Paul really had to say. Maybe they had some further conversation with Paul. Paul didn't turn them off in the first sentence. So sometimes that's, that's, that's how you do evangelism. So Paul's the preeminent evangelist, one foot in the Greek world, one foot in the Roman world. He's a preeminent evangelist. So he did it. I think he did it right. And he was very fruitful for a place like Athens. And then I, I would have been just like Paul. The next verse he leaves. And he goes, Corinth is unique in other ways. And we'll see that next week. Let's pray together and I'll let you go. God, we're so grateful for your word and we are so grateful for the ways that you're trying to grow us up into the image of Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the ways that you are reforming our minds. You're transforming our minds so that we can live from, from the mind of Christ, not from the mind of the world around us. God, help us to see things that others can't see. Help us to believe things that others refuse to believe. Help us to do things that others don't want to do, all because we're your people. So God, we pray that uh, you will continue your gracious, kind, generous work in our lives as you, as you continue to set us apart from the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.